a tourism website, and they, they say by some counts we've got like 400 of these ghost towns uh, throughout New Mexico, many of which are just a, a single standing structure that's left, or maybe just foundations and a few uh, pieces of old mining equipment. Uh, most of these old towns were built up around mining communities, right, where, where people came in hungry for the, the wealth of the land, looking for gold and silver and turquoise and copper, lead and coal. These cities would rise and fall. Farming communities that once flourished are, are now just mysteriously fallen silence. Hundreds of towns not only died, but just completely vanished, completely gone. And these lost towns have, have witnessed some, some of the, the greatest of American history, America's romantic time of, of greed and desire for wealth. And now they're just deserted cities. Once full of people, now empty, and the wind just sweeps through. We see the dust blowing. We see tumbleweeds rolling down what was once a main street. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. It's actually the first line from Lamentations 1, our scripture for this morning, if you want to start turning there. The book of Lamentations is this series of, of, poetic, um, of poetic works that are just gut-wrenching laments. It's these expressions of sorrow, this expression of grief, this, this disappointment, this hurt, this longing for something different. They're, they're grieving the devastation of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. that resulted in their exile. And there's plenty, of the, there's plenty for them to wail over, plenty for them to cry over in, in these, these laments. There was this year and a half siege in which they were confined into the walls of Jerusalem and it was finally breached and in, in that time of, of destruction that, that led them into this place of, lex, of exile. And so now there is a total lack of food, starvation and hunger driving them to do desperate things. Their, their last king, Zedekiah, was imprisoned in exile after witnessing the execution of his own sons. God's temple had been destroyed and desecrated. This holy city, Jerusalem, some call, sometimes called Zion, had been left in ruins. And most of the people were just taken off into exile where they were required into forced labor. The city was totally plundered, leaving nothing of value in the city. This is the deserted city that was once full of people that Lamentations grieves over. So let's start reading in chapter 1, verse 1. How deserted lies the city once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. 
Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads of Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan, her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from daughter Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness they have fled before the pursuer. And so while the opening words of this lament might have been about any number of ghost towns, they weren't. This is the city of Jerusalem. This great and mighty city, this holy city that now lies in ruins, a, a ghost of its former past. And this is an awful scene. The words of Psalm 79 give us this eyewitness account of what's going on here. It says, They have left the dead bodies of your servants as food for the birds of the sky, the flesh of your own people for the animals of the wild. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury the dead. We are objects of contempt to our neighbors, who scorn, of scorn and derision to those around us. This is a brutal scene. The scene of Jerusalem destroyed. It's a horrific destruction, right? The, the Babylonian invaders come in. They didn't even take time to bury the dead. There are, are bodies everywhere. The blood is so abundant that it is running through the streets. And, and vultures are circling, waiting. Packs of dogs are coming in and tearing the flesh of those that have been slain. And now the armies have left the writer of Lamentations, to say how deserted lies the city, once so full of people. If you're thinking that somewhere in this we're going to see this word of hope, you're wrong. Hope is gone. This is a miserable situation. The, the worst fears of the prophets and the righteous are now realized in this moment. King Nebuchadnezzar has, has arrived to lead them all to a place of no hope. And now that it's too late for them, those in power realize that the prophets 
like Isaiah and Jeremiah, the others, they had all been right. Maybe they should have listened. And here they are in this place of destruction. Only when they fall by the sword, or if they're one of the lucky ones to be hauled off to Babylon and in exile, only then do they realize that the Lord has executed his judgment in this mighty and fierce way. And so the writer of Lamentations sees no restoration coming, seems, sees no hope for the future. They have no idea if God will relent. It is beyond a sad situation. Jerusalem is like this widow who has no allies, no one to support, no one to care for, no resources, no protection. And so they are destitute, they are forsaken There's no hope, at least not for now. So you can see why this passage of Scripture is not often preached. This is a real pick-me-up, right? We're all smiling and happy and joyful. We like to avoid passages like this, right? Like, when was the last time we preached through Lamentations? I never have. We don't even really want to read through Lamentations, these songs of laments, of grief, of heartache, of disappointment, of discouragement. Complete and utter destruction. And it brings up so much questions about God that are difficult to answer, questions that we've been navigating some through the story of Jonah. These questions of God's wrath and judgments, Questions of God's sovereignty over our situations, his his role in our lives or lack thereof, in the evil in the world that's around us. When we get to events of of national grief, things like 9-11 or mass school shootings, these things come and, and we wouldn't attribute those to the wrath of God. We continue to to grieve over as a nation, the loss of life of 9-11. We continue to to grieve over the loss of life of, of mass shootings and terrorist attacks and acts of violence and evil. We continue to grieve over those. But most of us would not lay those calamities at the feet of God saying we're being punished. We don't say that he would cause such evil in the world around us. But in these moments, we, we spend time to become introspective. They cause us to, to look internally and look at ourselves and, and wonder why these things happen. We wonder how this might have been prevented. What could have changed the situation? How could it have been better? We live in a world of horrible pain, a world of conflict, a world of violence and abuse and evil. But we don't blame God. Of course, we could blame God. I think that's what many of us would like. It's certainly what Job wanted to do. As Job asks and questions God and blames God, he's, he's defending himself. We, we say to God something essentially like, hey, we haven't done anything, so, so why are you doing this to us? 
Why do you let this happen? And as we see through the story of Job, God essentially says, right, you haven't done anything. You've done nothing. Because I have done everything. And Job goes through chapter after chapter describing all of the things that he has done and puts Job in his place. Right, we have done nothing, are not capable of anything. And Isaiah 55 reminds us that that God's ways are not our ways. We can't even comprehend the ways of God. And so how could we question God or even blame God? We don't understand enough to even be able to do that. And so the ancient Jews of Lamentations, they they had to endure three military campaigns launched against Jerusalem. And and for those those who survived those campaigns, those were the ones that were hauled off into exile. But for them, there was no question, no doubt of God abandoning them. There was no sense that that God was not real, that God was not there. There was not a questioning of God. There was no temptation for them to to slip off into some sort of atheism. There was no temptation for them to, to turn away from God to some other faith. No, they knew the score. They knew all that was in the God plus column and all that was in their negative column. And they knew that God had their reasons, and they knew that God had his discipline for them. But their language sounds like they're blaming God, right? They say, the, they say the, in, in, in these verses, the Lord has brought her grief. God has brought this grief. But they're not really blaming God. Their complaint isn't that, that God is punishing them, but their complaint is that the punishment is so severe. Why is the punishment so harsh? Why is it so extreme? Yes, they deserved discipline, but did it really have to be this bad? They're they're in shock over the extreme destruction and loss of life. And that they can't imagine a world where they would worship not at the temple in Jerusalem, but have to worship somewhere else in some other way. How could the temple no longer be an option? This is the dwelling place of God, and now the temple is destroyed. The temple is gone. And so they act as if they have been so faithful in the past. But they can not see it getting any better. It's all too severe. But there's also this Second point of argument from the survivors. Yes, the, the discipline has been too severe. It is, has gone too far. But they have this other argument that goes like this. that says, okay, God, we get it. We've sinned. We were, des- we, were, we were and are deserving of punishment. But why would you use these pagans as instruments of punishment? These heathens who are, are vastly more wicked and irreligious than we. Remember Jonah's comparisons? It would make more sense for you to, to use us, your chosen ones, to humble them, right? Instead, you taunt us 
And what, do we, and what do you get out of it? The pagans now taunt you and ridicule you, saying that our God is not able to save us. They're essentially saying, God, why would you use them? Why would you use these wicked Babylonians to punish us? It's the same argument that Habakkuk uses, that he presents to God. But in the end, Habakkuk comes around and says, in Habakkuk chapter 3, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Though all these things are wrong, all these things are not as they should be, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And so this national despair that we see described in Lamentations, it, it often can describe a more personal desperation that we experience when we're traveling through dark times. We go through these dark seasons in our lives where, where we're in despair. We're in discouragement. Psalm 23 calls it the darkest valley that God leads us through. St. John of the Cross calls it the dark night of the soul. These dark times that we walk through where it seems that hope is lost, it seems that God has abandoned us, it seems that evil has won. There are these seasons where we feel like we have been abandoned, where we are alone, where we are desperate. And this is is not the kind of, of depression that is, is caused by chemical imbalances that require clinical treatments. I don't want to over-spiritualize depression. But we go through these times that are dark, that are spiritual battles, spiritual things that are going on. It's a, it's a despair that is born out of this realization that our souls, which used to be animated with lively relationship with God through Jesus Christ, are now broken and devoid of life. This is the despair of the darkest valley. These times where we hunger and thirst after righteousness, but we don't seem to be filled as the Beatitude promises in Matthew chapter 5. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. This can describe our spiritual life at times. Deserted, void, empty. And we ask ourselves, how did this happen? How did we get here? How did we get to this place? How did it get so dark around us? There are several different things. 
that can get us to this point. It could be that we're just distracted by the cares of the world. We've become busy by the things that seem to be important around us, and it just creates a darkness around us. Jesus talks in the parable of the sower, the the different seeds that are planted. Some would not take root in the soil of a person's soul because the cares of the world drew them away. The lure of, of wealth and desire for other things come in, and it chokes out whatever desire that's there. And so the cares of the world, the desires of the world, the the wealth of the world comes and, and distracts us, and we find ourselves in a dark place. It could be that we've become overcome and overwhelmed by the responsibilities of more urgent matters. Pressures of work or, or medical needs or problems in our families take on greater and greater demand. And it drains our soul quickly, leaving it dry and hollow, an empty, vacant city. Or it could be that we struggle with doubt, a crisis of faith. Doubts come after us attack us. It makes us feel like our our faith is weak. But James 4 reminds us to draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. But in this incredibly downer of a sermon, (laughs) as everybody is slouching into their chair deeper and deeper, These moments are so real. And if you haven't really experienced one of these dark seasons, then wait a little while. (laughs) And you'll probably get to one eventually. That or you're just so distracted that you've lost sight of what God is doing around you anyway. I think sometimes we go through darks, these dark times and we don't even know it's dark because we're so preoccupied and busy with other things. And then we find ourselves completely suffocated. But we will go through these seasons and the, the, the songs that we sang this morning are, are so important for redirecting us to the truth that exists around us. Because in the darkness, we can't see past our noses. In these times of despair and discouragement, we can't see what's right in front of us. And we come together and we have to remind one another what it is we believe. Because while Lamentations starts off with this incredible story of despair and destruction and discouragement, we're left with this, oh God, what do we do? But there is hope. There's more to the story. It doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Thomas Chisholm writes this incredible hymn for us called Great is Thy Faithfulness. 
Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And where does he get these words? He gets them from Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And he continues, the Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. And so standing alone in the desolation of this city, the writer now finds that his soul is refreshed. Yes, the city is deserted. Yes, it has been abandoned. Yes, it once had people walking fully in this place. but my soul is refreshed. He doesn't have this ghost town of a soul. He says, the Lord is my portion. The miracles of the Lord never come to an end. Like the manna in the wilderness, they are new every morning. Every day starts over. Yes, great is the faithfulness of our Lord. We have hope. We have new life. Where it appears that there's death and destruction and decay. Jesus comes into the picture and completes the story for us. It's new every morning.